1: Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Support for today's show comes from Squarespace. Whether you need a portfolio to showcase your work, a store to sell your products and services, or a blog to share your ideas, Squarespace gives you a powerful online platform to make your next big move known to the world. With Squarespace, you can easily create a website by yourself using user-friendly templates and customizable features. Simply add and arrange your content with just a few clicks. Check out squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code HUSTLEPRO10 to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews Okome. So let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Today in the guest chair, we have a woman who truly needs no introduction. Her work and her business is legendary. Her name is Jewel Burks, and as co-founder and CEO of ParkPick, an Atlanta-based startup designed to streamline the purchase of maintenance and repair parts using computer vision technology, Jewel and her team built groundbreaking technology poised to change the way people everywhere locate products. PartPick raised over $2 million in seed funding to integrate its proprietary technology into mobile apps and websites of parts distributors and retailers. And then something incredible happened. PartPick was acquired by Amazon. Currently, Jules serves as team lead for visual search at A9.com, an Amazon company. In addition to this role, Jewel is a proud board member at Amplify for Good and spends much of her time working with startups. On today's show, Jewel shares how she came up with the idea for PartPick, how she recruited a smart and talented team and co-founder, what it was like to juggle working for Google while building PartPick, and what it's like to have your company be acquired. Let's get right into it. Hey, Jewel. Welcome to the guest chair. Hey. Thanks for having me. I am so glad we could finally make it happen. You are a busy woman.
2: <laughs> Thank you for making sure that I got here. I love this podcast, so I'm excited to to talk to you today.
1: Yay. Alrighty. So for those who don't know, you know, I kind of read your bio, but I want to know in your own words, who is Jewel Burks and what does she currently do?
2: Who am I? That is a very good question. Uh, right now, I would say I am a child of God. I am someone who loves my family deeply. Um, I am a tech enthusiast, I've built a career in the technology industry, and I'm enjoying doing that. I'm currently leading a team at Amazon in the visual search space. And prior to that, I led a startup called PartPick, and we were acquired by Amazon late last year. So I've been having a good time um, going through that process and I'm also helping out a lot of startups. So I'm spending a lot of my time working with small companies, um, particularly black woman owned startups. And um, that's what's making me happy these days.
1: That is so awesome. So you majored in marketing at the Howard University. What was your initial career path coming right out of college?
2: Uh, Well, initially, right out of college, I started at Google. So I kind of jumped right into the tech industry. Uh, I had an opportunity to intern at Google the summer after my sophomore year of college at Howard. And I just fell in love with the industry, so much so that I decided I wanted to graduate early from school. So I ended up uh, graduating after what was really my junior year, but kind of became my senior year and started work at Google in 2010 full time. And I started, I was working in enterprise sales. So what was at that time called Google Enterprise. Now I think it's Google Cloud. It's changed names a couple of times in between, but that's where I started. And like I said, I I really kind of fell in love with the industry and how fast paced it was and how I was just seeing so many things coming from idea to an actual product that people are using. And that got me excited. And so... Yeah, that's kind of how things started. And ever since I've been just interested in staying in in the space.
1: That's very interesting. I didn't know you actually graduated early to work for Google. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that. (laughs) Like, I love my internship so much. I graduated early.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a kind of a perfect storm of things. I decided that I wanted to after I interned, I, I did this whole thing where I wanted to get Google At Howard. So I kind of got into a stir with the administration about moving them over to Google apps. And um, then I kind of just got into a position where I really wasn't having the greatest time at Howard anymore and had made a decision that I wanted to go ahead and finish early. And luckily I'd come into school with about a semester's worth of credits. And then finished a semester over a summer. So it all worked out and was able to get a job offer at Google to start. So yeah, it all worked out for me to go ahead and, and get going there early.
1: So what do you think, you know, you got to Google, this was like a dream job, maybe not for life, but definitely coming out of school in line with your interests. What drove your entrepreneurial interest to even start thinking about a startup?
2: Yeah. So it was interesting because, I don't know that the job was a dream job. It was definitely a dream company, but my job when I first got there was really cold calling. I was spending, you know, hours upon hours on the phone with people trying to convince them to use Google apps instead of, you know, the legacy Microsoft systems. And so that was not for me a dream job. (laughs) I was... I, I was and kind of still am a pretty shy person. And so it definitely was a challenge for me to be on the phone all day talking to people. Uh, but like looking back on it now, I feel like that was perfect preparation for what came next as far as the rest of my career. So I'm really grateful for that opportunity now. At the time, I thought, man, this is not what I wanted to move to California to do. Um, and I think you'll find a lot of people that are starting a lot of tech companies particularly if they're starting on a business side probably aren't loving life you know the first couple of years of working there Um, but for me it was just a good foot in the door to meet people in the tech space and just get exposure to how things start there so i had a chance to kind of go to different meetups and meet people that were in the startup scene and just get exposed to that world and for me that was Really impactful because it just showed me, like, oh, I have coworkers who, you know, one day they're my coworker. The next day I'm reading about them on TechCrunch because <laughs> they started something with their, you know, their friends from Stanford or whatever. So that was just good exposure for me um, just to know that, oh, these people, I was working with them, you know, as far as being smart, I'm just as smart as they are. And they are able to start these things and kind of have these networks. And so I think I can do that too. Um, so that kind of came into play when I was looking at starting Part Pick.
1: Okay. And I'm glad you clarified that whole dream job versus dream company. And I can <clears throat> I can totally relate to that. I don't even know why I asked the question that way, because I myself interned at Google between my first and second year of business school. And I can totally relate to feeling like, oh, this is the dream company. And then getting there. And I was also doing sales and feeling like, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> And not being able to explain that to people because they're like, what are you talking about? So explain to us your transition from Google, right? This dream company that everyone thinks is, you know, the Mecca and then, you know, having to say like, hey, this is, this is actually what I want to do and making a change. Yeah, so
2: I mean... I didn't leave Google because I was unhappy with the job. I was more so unhappy with living in the Bay Area, honestly. I'm really big on family, as I mentioned, you know, when you asked me about who I am. And my family, I felt needed me, so I wanted to move closer to them. At the time, my grandmother was diagnosed with breast cancer, and my younger brother, um, was having some issues with, with a heart condition. And so um, there was a couple things going on personally for me that made me want to leave California and move just closer to my family. And Atlanta was perfect for me because um, my, my grandmother is in Nashville and my younger brother at the time was in Mobile, Alabama. And Atlanta is pretty centrally located to both of those places. And I had always wanted to move to Atlanta. That was kind of like my thing growing up is I wanted to move to Atlanta. So, um, I ended up leaving Google, not really because of anything that Google did, but just because I wanted to be close to my family. And um, I didn't have an opportunity in Atlanta with Google at that time. So I ended up um, taking a job with a company called McMaster Car, which is a big industrial distribution company and totally kind of polar opposite to Google as far as culture um, and as far as like what they're doing. It's that it's a essentially a supply chain and logistics company for industrial parts. And
1: um, yeah, I started working there.
2: And that's where I came up with the idea for PartPick.
1: Okay. So tell us what PartPick is and how the idea went from idea to actual company.
2: Yeah. So PartPick, I came up with the idea, like I mentioned, while I was in this industrial distribution company and at the company I was... Um, a supervisor in the phone contact center. So basically the call center at that company. And in that role, I was always the person who kind of had to handle escalations. So if someone called in and said, you all sent me the wrong part, I would have to track down what happened. Why did we send the wrong part? And a lot of times I was hearing the same thing over and over again, which was that, Um, people were having trouble describing the parts that they wanted to purchase. And that was getting translated to the folks who were taking their order. And some things were getting lost in communication. And so that's what would cause the errors. And so I started to think about, you know, what could be done to make it so that people could have an easier time trying to locate their parts and make their orders. And uh, that's what led me to a part pick.
1: So pick is essentially an app, or it was an app that allows you to upload the photo. So you can kind of pair that via software. How does it work? So pick
2: is technology that allows you to take a photo of a part. And with computer vision and machine learning, we're able to detect the key dimensions of that part and tell you exactly what the part is and where you can purchase it. And we when we were a startup, we licensed the technology to manufacturers and distributors and retailers uh, to help their customers more easily locate their products. And I came up with the idea while I was at McMaster, and I realized that a lot of the customers were having difficulty locating products. But the other thing that really pushed me to start the company was uh, my grandfather was having a similar issue where he couldn't find a part for his tractor. He, um, we have a family farm in Repton, Alabama, and he was trying to find a part for his tractor and could not. And he called me up to help him find it. And I couldn't find the part either. And I was getting really frustrated with the process. And so it was, you know, that experience with him, coupled with the experience with the customers at McMaster that really led me to this idea of what if you could just take a picture of what you're trying to find and use that as the search catalyst. And, um, that became kind of the the mission. And I really just as far as starting, I just got obsessed with this idea of being able to take a picture of something and get an answer back. And that's what got me started on a journey of research and trying to build a team uh, and then raising money and eventually s- selling the business.
1: Amazing. So, you know, I interview a lot of business owners who are mainly business to consumer, B2C, and you are really a B2B, you know, business to business. How did you start to license your technology? Like, how did you gain buy-in when this was so new? These established companies are used to just doing things the way they do things.
2: Right. Yeah. So it was actually a chance encounter. Uh, I went to an event, probably less than six months into having the idea and at the event it was at Georgia Tech and uh, two of the founders of a company that was at the time called National Builder Supply and now is supply.com they were doing a talk about how they got started and just everything about their journey and they asked for does anyone have questions and I was dominating the Q&A like I was asking all the questions. And eventually they stopped me and they were just like, so what are you doing? Like, what are you? working? (laughs) (laughs) Why do you have all these questions about this? And I was very hesitant to share what I was working on. Um, And they told me something that stuck with me and that I tell entrepreneurs that I speak with today, which is no one's going to drop their baby to take care of yours. So in other words, we're not, we have a company, like we're not going to steal your idea because we're busy running our company. So if you, you have all these questions and clearly you think we can help you. So you should share what you're working on. So I told them I'm, I want to develop this product where you can take a picture of a product and get response back and make that happen automatically. And they told me, look, you know, product discovery is one of the top problems in our business. If you can figure this out in the way that you're describing it, we will be your first customer. Wow. I was like, okay, well, let me get your contact information and I will let you know when I figured it out. So that worked out as far as this idea of, oh, I have something once I build it, I'll have something that will be valuable to companies and that they'll use to make their process easier for their customers. And they really helped me to get to that idea that it would be more valuable for me to build the technology out and license it to companies rather than try to attack the whole world of parts and products and do it to consumers. So what the going to enterprises helped me to do was to narrow the scope of, um, of the products that I was trying to recognize. So I could work from catalog to catalog versus trying to cover everything at once. So that was the reason that I kind of targeted the enterprise versus going directly to consumers.
1: Oh, that's very, very smart. And, you know, I have ideas all the time, Jewel, like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I wish I could just do this. And then this would happen. (laughs) So how did you then find the business partners and the engineers to actually make this technology?
2: Yes. So I have ideas all the time, too. And the crazy thing is I had this one idea before Part Pick that I had gone through the process of doing a business plan. actually, it was in my senior in my last year at Howard, my entrepreneurship class, I had done a business plan for something that looks exactly like what is now Style Seat. I don't know if you've heard of that. Company, yes. Style Seat. Yes. But I did this really thorough business plan, I bought a domain, I was working on it, and then I heard about Style Seed, and I was thinking, I must have met that lady at some point and told her about my idea because it is just the same. And I figured the next, okay, fine, I, I lost on that one, but the next time I come up with an idea that I feel like is really good, I'm going for it and I'm not going to be hesitant, I'm not going to, you know, take my time on it, I'm going for it for sure. So when I came up with part pick, I had that feeling, the same feeling I had on my style seat like idea before where I was like, "Okay, this is a killer idea. I have to go for it. I can't waste any time. I I can't like just sit on it. I have to really go for it. So I sent my mom an email kind of detailing the whole idea. And she was like, oh, this is a really good idea. This is great. And I got you on it. Like, if you need support on it, I got you. So that gave me some ammunition. And then I think the next day at work, I sent a chat. I am to someone who was previously my coworker at Google who had gone on to work at Shazam. His name is Jason Crayon. He became my co-founder. But on this day, I just was sending him the idea and saying, like, what do you think about this? I kind of want it to be like Shazam, but for parts. And he was like, oh, this is a really good idea. And we kind of talked about it back and forth all day over chat. And so most people I was introducing it to were like, oh, that's a really good idea. And if it's possible for you to do it, yeah, I think you should definitely go for it. And so that was early validation about the idea. But then I started doing a lot of research and figuring out how much the industry as a whole was losing on this problem of customers not being able to find the right product and what that was costing them on returns and customer service time and all of these things, and also frustration on the customer side. So I just felt like I was getting all these proof points that this was the right idea to pursue. And I wasn't finding anything else like it on the market. And so, you know, I started to court Jason to help me um, because I knew he had a interesting perspective from his work at Shazam and had access to engineering talent that might know if this is even possible to do. And then, uh, like I said, I was kind of spending time at Georgia Tech going to different programs there. So I had an opportunity to meet people around Georgia Tech's campus and really try to find engineering talent who could might be interested in the problem I was trying to solve and who might have time to help me. Um, So I was targeting, finding PhDs who had expertise in computer vision and machine learning, and I'm really just trying to sell them on my idea. And these things, I mean, at the time, I feel like I was pretty naive. (laughs) I didn't know if any of this stuff was going to work, but I was just really headstrong and set on the idea. And it actually did work uh, as far as trying to get people to help me. So that's kind of how things started.
1: Wow. And what did you have to offer them at that point? It was just like they, <laughs> they, <laughs> they just believed in the idea that much.
2: Well, I didn't have much to offer them, but I did start saving money. So I was paying. I was able to pay my first, you know, engineers to help me. I wasn't paying them much, but I was setting up like small contracts so that it wasn't just do this for me, please. And I'm not giving you anything. As far as my co-founder, I, you know, we talked about having a co-founder relationship, so it wasn't like I was paying him at all. It was just like he came on to work with me. But I think, you know, we had, we were friends and I was really headstrong about this idea and really selling it to him. So I don't know if at the beginning he believed in it like I did, but you know, he was convinced as far as my my pitch goes. Um, <laughs> so so I think a lot of it was just me really selling this story and also sharing what I knew about how challenging this problem was for people in the industry. So it was like my industry knowledge paired with my excitement, I think, was uh, part of how I was able to get people to work with me. And in the case of uh, Jason and I, we had previously worked together at Google and we had some success with the projects that we were working together on. So it's like, we we already knew we could work well together. And then with the the engineers that I was working with, I think they were more so interested in the idea itself. So a lot of people that I was able to attract early on, they themselves had the problem that I was trying to solve. So they were trying to, let's just say, you know, fix things, or they were kind of tinkerers, building things, robotics, whatever. And so they had experienced what it's like to try to order something and not know what it's called or how to find it. And so they were really interested in solving that problem. So I think it was just a matter of finding people, you know, finding what's the right pitch for each person I'm talking to and figuring out what would make them um, want to work with me.
1: hey guys so as many of you know i got married in august 2017 and when it came time to make a wedding website i turned to squarespace squarespace allows you to customize the look and feel of your website with just a couple of clicks and you have your pick of beautiful templates created by world class designers plus free and secure hosting so we were able to snag our wedding hashtag okome ever after as our url through squarespace and it made everything come together seamlessly including rsvps not only that but it was optimized for mobile which is how most of our friends access the site so whatever your next big idea or project might be you can count on squarespace to help you create an eye-catching online platform that brings it all to life maybe you need a site to sell your products or even create your own wedding website squarespace gives you everything you need to look like a pro right from the start Head over to squarespace.com for your free trial today and enter offer code HUSTLEPRO10 to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Your side hustle skills are legendary to me. <laughs> Talk about that. So you transitioned from MacMaster back to Google and all this time we're building part pick. Like how did that work? How did you juggle that all And, you know, how long were you able to do it before going full-time on part Pick?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, the interesting thing about it is I quit McMaster in June of 2013. And my plan was, okay, I'm just going on part Pick full-time. I got into an accelerator that was starting in July, so I felt like I had, like, a destination to go to and work. So my plan was I had saved up some money, so I felt like I would be good. I felt... PARPIC would be generating revenue within six to nine months. So, you know, I thought that was was a perfect plan. What happened was PARPIC was not generating revenue um, anywhere close to six to nine months. We were still developing the technology. And I realized probably, you know, three or four months into this plan that it wasn't going to work out the way I thought. So I was able to. Well, I think this kind of has to do with like just having strong relationships, but I had always been talking to my team that I previously worked with at Google when I left because I, like I said, I enjoy working at Google and I thought I at some point might want to go back. And so I really kept in touch with the people I worked with and in keeping in touch with them. I realized that they were doing some work that I was really interested in with um, helping minority owned businesses, women owned, black owned, Hispanic owned businesses. And uh, so I kept in touch with them about that work that they were doing. And realized that there might be a fit for me to come back in the capacity of something like an entrepreneur in residence, where I would continue to build my business, but would be bringing a perspective where I would myself an entrepreneur and building my business using Google tools, and can potentially help other entrepreneurs do the same thing. So that's the role that kind of developed. I started in that role in January of 2014. So about six months after I quit my job. And like I said, I realized that I didn't have enough money to do the full-time entrepreneurship thing without any supplemental income, but luckily was able to work on this amazing role at Google where I could help entrepreneurs learn how to use Google in their businesses while I was also building my business at the same
1: time. And did you pitch that to them or was it kind of like just mutual conversations and coming to it organically together?
2: Yeah, I think it was really mutual conversations. I guess it was an offshoot of the work that I had done prior to leaving Google. I had done kind of like a passion project of helping HBCUs and helping minority-owned businesses. And over the years, it it was just more buy-in to the fact that there needed to be a full-time team, and there was really great leadership around this idea of kind of business inclusion and how do you make sure that the customer base at Google looks like the world, as opposed to you know the customer base being very white male wh- while the, the world doesn't necessarily look like that way. And what can we do as far as focused efforts to ensure that there's equal access to these products and tools and all of these things for minority owned businesses. And so I think the conversations really picked up when, as it, during the year or two that I was gone from Google. And so there, it was just like the right time for there to be more concerted effort around reaching these diverse business owners. And um, also because I was now based in Atlanta where there's a huge, kind of concentration of Black-owned businesses and minority-owned businesses, women-owned businesses, all of these things. It made sense from the perspective of location and my experience now, like I said, as an entrepreneur and having a different way that I could speak to these different business owners because I was really in their shoes as well. So I think it was just a lot of different things that came together, the grace of God, (laughs) throwing that in there too, to make all of this work. Um, But it was, I would say, I mean, it was a a wonderful opportunity for me to be able to grow my business, run my team, um, and then kind of as a quote unquote side hustle, um, be able to work at Google where I was managing events and doing conferences, where a lot of the work I was doing was on nights and weekends. Um, And I still kind of had my days to work on PartPick.
1: And when did PartPick finally start generating revenue? Ooh.
2: Um, we started generating revenue in maybe think we landed our first contract in maybe late 2014, beginning of 2015. Um, but it was a full year and some change after I had started, before we really started generating revenue. Um, and we didn't really, really start generating revenue until probably end of 2015, early 2016, because we were just working on building out the technology for 2014 and 15 primarily. Okay. So it took a while to get it to a point where it was enterprise ready.
1: And when did you know you wanted to seek out investors and you know, when did that come into the equation?
2: Yeah. So I knew I wanted to seek out investors pretty early on because of the nature of what I was building. Um, I knew that when I looked at other computer vision, machine learning systems. I read about how they were built and they took a lot of engineering talent, a lot of money to stand up. And so I thought, well, I want to be, I know I'm not going to be able to bootstrap this business. I'm going to need to raise capital at some point, but I did want to have a story that was compelling to investors. So that's why I spent a lot of time building up the right team, trying to get, At least people that I knew would use the technology once we had it ready and uh, making sure that my pitch about the market opportunity and the industry and everything was solid. So I I did all of those things in, you know, 2013 into 2013 when I first started in 2014. That's what I was working on, was trying to make sure that I had a compelling case about why we needed to raise capital And I really started raising capital after I pitched at TechCrunch Disrupt in, I think that was September of 2014, kind of started raising capital, really like beginning of 2015 is when things kind of kicked off and ended up spending a good six or seven months focused on fundraising. And we closed our seed round of funding in June of 2015.
1: And how much was that round? That was...
2: So we raised 1.5 million dollars at that time. Ooh, and then,
1: congrats. <laughs> that's huge.
2: Yeah, we ended up adding another 500k or so. So all told we raised a little bit over two million dollars, which I mean it might may or may not sound like a lot, but as compared to a lot of the other computer vision systems that are out there, it was not a lot. So we did a lot with a little in terms of what we built and the, the fact that we were, we were licensing the technology to large enterprises, we definitely were scrappy with the, the money that we had.
1: And what was your overall experience with pitching and securing investment like? When you first started, like a TechCrunch Disrupt, did you feel ready? Did you hit the ground kind of after that and do a lot to prepare for future rounds?
2: Yes. Yeah, so pitching and raising money was very difficult. It was very exhilarating. I think I kind of started to get to a point where I loved pitching on stage because I knew that if nothing else, I could I could pitch on stage. I started to get into a rhythm where I was winning a lot of pitch competitions, and to me that was easy money. Um, you know, people weren't taking equity with with the pitch competition, so I felt like yes, I can do that. Um, pitching investors was more challenging in the in the fact that I had to pitch, you know, I think about somewhere over 200 investors to get that $2 million. So I was, I don't know, I was getting really frustrated with the process because it felt like I had a really solid story, a really solid pitch, and it was translating on stage, but it wasn't necessarily translating in one-on-one conversations. Um, and a lot of that had to do with, You know, a lot of people would say, oh, you guys are in Atlanta. We don't do investments in Atlanta. And they would not say explicitly all the time, but imply certain things about the fact that I was leading the company, which, you know, for a lot of people, it didn't make sense for a 25 year old black woman to be leading a computer vision company focused on industrial distribution. Like that didn't fit in their minds. So I think that was a challenge for me too. I think also, you know, to be fair, I was a first-time founder, for the better majority of the time I was pitching, I was didn't have very much revenue. So those were things that were counting against me, but I think I was able to get to that $2 million just because of the fact that we had really amazing technology and uh, we had a really compelling use case for it.
1: Thank you for being so transparent about that and and also being balanced in your reflection because I know, um, well, first of all, two million is nothing to sneeze at, but I know what you mean about like in comparison to some of these founders out here who are getting like just ridiculous amounts of money. And, you know, they don't have to worry about some of the the things that we do, but at the same time, I respect that you can be balanced and say, you know, at the same time, the revenue probably wasn't as an attractive factor at that time, like the levels of revenues that were coming in or, you know, being a first time founder. Yet and still, we know people of a different color who that doesn't seem to be a factor for them. But, um, you know, I really appreciate that transparency. So on the flip side, have you ever had to not take an investment? Just it, it didn't feel right to you. It didn't fit with your values, and your morals.
2: Yes, I definitely turned down a couple of investors. I had one situation where it just didn't feel right. And then I later had that verified um, by something that happened with that particular investor. I like read about them in the news maybe a couple months down the line. And I was like, oh, that definitely, yeah, something didn't sit right with me. And that's certainly validated by the the story that came out about them. And then another time, somebody, I've talked about this story before, but in an investor meeting, I was asked, is your team still black? What? (laughs) Yeah. So they were trying, I mean, okay. I think they were trying to say, you're going to have a challenge by the fact that your executive team is black. So have you done anything about that? Not that that's any better, but that's what they were that's what they were getting at. This is not a black person, by the way. So. Mm -mm -mm. So, yeah, I didn't take that investment because I was personally offended by that question and the insinuation along with it. So, yeah, I didn't take that investment.
1: (laughs) You know, I didn't know what the answer to that would be. I hadn't heard that story. So very interesting and good for you. Now, very few of the guests in the Side Hustle Pro chair have experienced what you've experienced and been acquired. Can you share a little bit more about that journey? Like, how did it come to be? What did you have to evaluate to decide whether it was a good idea? And, you know, how did it change the business?
2: Yeah, so I was not in the market to be acquired. I should start there. So what I was doing was I was raising another round of funding. So I was in the process of raising a Series A. And um, in that process, I had this goal wasn't necessarily associated with that, but I just had a goal to help the people on my team who I felt were stars get more notoriety and be more well known as thought leaders in the space. And so I was researching conferences and I recommended um, my CTO, who also happens to be a black woman, incredibly brilliant. Um, her name is Dr. Nashley Cephas, PhD from Georgia Tech. I recommended her to speak at a conference in Boston. And she went to speak at the conference and did an amazing job with her presentation. And um, the corporate development team from many different companies were in the room during her presentation. And so she came back to me on Monday morning and kind of handed me a sack of business cards of folks that she had met at the conference and I'm kind of flipping through the cards and I see Amazon is one of the cards of someone that she'd met there. And so at the time I was interested in Amazon from a customer perspective and also from an investment perspective. Um, I wasn't really thinking about acquisition at that time, but we, I reached out, you know, kind of continued conversations from when they met in Boston and as the conversations progressed, um, acquisition came up as one of the potential opportunities. And when I thought about <clears throat> the future of the company and what made sense for us at the time, um, acquisition was a good option. Um, um, given the fact that, number one, when I, when I first came up with PartPick, I had thought about where I wanted to end up. And I'd even written a list of the companies that I thought would be a good fit for us as far as potentially being acquired by one day. And Amazon was one of those companies because they had the products that we could recognize as far as they're selling them on Amazon. And they had, um, a focus on visual search technology and that's what we do. So, um, it made sense for me. And when it came on my, you know, kind of fell in my lap, it was like, Oh, this is what I wanted. So what are you going to do now? (laughs) Um, And so it was a really difficult decision because in my mind, I wasn't I wasn't where I wanted to be yet with the business. Like I said, we kind of just started making revenue in the 2015, early 2016. And when this is happening, it was May of 2016. So we're kind of just getting into a groove where we're picking up customers and things are working as they're supposed to. And and we're really just honestly, really just getting started, even though it had been about three years. We were just getting to the point where um, the business was getting to a good place. So I was pretty it was I was pretty torn about it. Um, But I came to the decision, you know, decided that it would be the best thing for, for the team. And, um, yeah, and now that was a year ago. So the, over the last year, I've been really working on transitioning all of our technology and, and, uh, transitioning the team. And now we're, we're essentially, um, operating as a team under the visual search arm of Amazon, um, which is called a nine. And, uh, we are working on the camera with, Within the Amazon mobile app.
1: So from that one card, like it seemed like that progressed really rapidly. But you know, <laughs> did that actually take longer? Like, did you reach out to the person, have an initial call, and they were just like, "We want to acquire you," or was it?
2: <laughs> no, it was. Um, it was a you know, I can't get into too much detail about the process, but it was definitely month, you know, month or couple months long conversation back and forth um, before we got to. We, they're going to acquire us. that took some time to get to that as the answer um and, and obviously there's like a whole due diligence process there's negotiations there's interviews there's all these different things um before it's actually a done deal and that i mean that process was was really really challenging um especially for me that being my first time to go through that process. It's funny um I was at a a banquet for an organization that I was a part of when I was in high school called Youth About Business. And in that organization, we did mock mergers and acquisitions. And I, I was thinking when I was going through the process of selling perfect, that that was like my only experience with <laughs> that, those types of conversations was like in high school in this mock program. But I was really grateful for that program because I at least had seen some of these things before. Um, but, but yeah, so, so, I mean, it was a long process. It was a hard process. I many times did not think I was going to make it through. Um, but I'm, on the other side of it, obviously it was quite rewarding to now be able to use the technology that my team built within one of the most popular mobile apps in the world.
1: Congratulations. We are all so proud of you. So <laughs> <laughs> now looking back, I know people tend to, you know, hold up your story and sometimes make it seem like this fairy tale, right? Do you find that people do that? And what are some of the mistakes you actually wish people knew you made along the way so they know that you're human?
2: Yeah. So I made a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes. And a lot of it was I just did not know any better. Um, I think there's things that I would do differently as far as forming the team. So, for example you got to know what is the key driver in your business and go for that i didn't know that at certain points in time I, i was kind of just trying to do whatever stuck and when i got to the point where i was fundraising i was probably too accommodating to potential investors and so i would say you know whatever i thought they wanted to hear in some senses but that is not a good idea like a lot of times as the founder you have to be very clear about what it is the business is going to do. And that's not to say you can't take feedback, but a lot of times, like everyone has feedback. It's a lot of information that you're getting in and it's important for you to have a clear vision about what it is you wanna do and how you're gonna do it. Um, So I think I was probably compromising in some ways early on about exactly how we were gonna approach the problems. And that wasn't good because in a certain sense, I knew all along what we should be doing. Um, and probably lost some time by listening to other people in some, in some ways. So that's probably something I would do a little differently is just, is just, um, have more confidence in myself and my, my vision for the company. Uh, I think also, I mean, if I was starting part pig now, I feel like things would be a little bit easier because some of the conversations have opened up a bit. Like, for example, you have more. I mean, still not not nearly enough, but you definitely have more people talking about black women and raising money. And those conversations were very nascent at the time that I started. So I think there is plenty of people that probably would have invested in my company if it was happening now versus three or four years ago. And so that's why I'm definitely going to start something again. So <laughs> <laughs> in of the current landscape, you know, I think with entrepreneurship, timing is literally everything and everything has to be on a, on time. And in a certain sense, I feel like I was a hair early on a lot of different things, which is, it wasn't my fault, but it, it's interesting about how important timing is to the success of any business.
1: I definitely see you as a serial entrepreneur for sure. (laughs) And what's been the most surprising part of being an entrepreneur that's acquired?
2: Um, I think the most surprising part is how how difficult it has been for me personally to accept the fact that we got acquired. And I mean that to say, I think that my identity was very much tied up in being founder of PartPick. When I first sold the business, it was hard for me to, like, introduce myself because I didn't know what to say. Like, it didn't feel right to me to say, hi, my name is Jewel, and I work at Amazon. Like, that didn't resonate with me. And so I really struggled with how, who am I if I'm not founder of, of this cool startup called PartPick. Um, so I think for entrepreneurs, like, like, if there's a word of advice in there, it's just making sure that you still have your life and your identity outside of your business, because yeah, my whole life, everything was tied up in part big. And I really struggled, um, with the feeling of, yeah, who am I, if, if not this founder? Um, so I've kind of resolved that for myself by using this past year that I've been, um, transitioning with Amazon, uh, using this time to think about who am I? Um, you know, what makes me happy? And I've had a chance to like date. <laughs> and I got engaged last week and like all these things that have happened in the past year since I sold, which probably couldn't have happened while I was in the grips of my business because I was so obsessed and so tied into it. Um, but I think there's definitely room and next time around start another business There's definitely room to be more balanced and have more of a life um, instead of just having everything so tied up in the business.
1: Very good point for all of us to take. Alrighty, righty. So now we're going to transition to the lightning round, which is basically when you answer the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? Okay. Number one, what's a resource that has helped you in your business that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience?
2: What I think has helped me a lot in my business was being a student of of the industry. And so As part of kind of my morning routine, looking at all the major tech blogs and also um, subscribing to relevant terms with Google Alerts. So I had like visual search, computer vision, machine learning as Google Alerts for all of those words. And so I would get pings for all the different articles to come out about those topics. And that helped me get up to speed um, as far as the technology and as far as other companies that were playing in this space as well.
1: Number two, what's been the best business book or podcast episode or live event that you've consumed this year?
2: Hmm, I'm reading a book right now called Extreme Ownership that I think is really good. I'm almost done with it. And I would say that's probably the best one I've consumed this year.
1: Number three, who is your favorite Black woman entrepreneur and why?
2: Ooh, I have a lot. But right now, my favorite Black woman entrepreneur that I'm I'm really excited about is Jasmine Crow. Um, She's based in Atlanta. Her company is called Gooder, and she is doing an amazing job. She just started like in January of this year and already booking contracts with Delta and the airport um, and is solving such a big problem of hunger. She's using the waste from the airport and delivering excess food to um, nonprofits that cater to the hungry and homeless communities in Atlanta. And so I'm really excited about what she's doing
1: and um, really, really rooting for her. Wow. Number four, what's a personal habit that has helped you significantly in your business?
2: I think I, I'm like a to-do list person. And so every day starting out with to-do lists and crossing things off and using that as a way to keep me accountable, but also keep my team accountable to things. I think that's been really helpful. In my
1: business. Alrighty. And finally, number five, what is your parting advice for fellow women entrepreneurs who want to be their own boss, but are worried about losing a steady paycheck?
2: So I think I love this podcast because I like the idea of side hustling. I think that it's important to not put yourself in a position where you can't pay your bills and you're struggling. Like you can't, there's so much time in the day where you don't have to, you don't have to do that. You can, you can, as long as you're willing to push yourself, you can build a business in the off hours and, and build it to a point where it's sustainable enough. Um, and that might mean cutting back on getting your hair done and whatever things that, you, whatever your advices are, that was my advice of always getting my hair done, but it might mean changing your lifestyle a little bit, but it's definitely possible to work a side hustle until it is sustainable and is generating enough to become your main hustle before you feel like you have to just jump out and do it, you know, before you have enough to land on. So I definitely think that side hustling is is a is a great means to get to whatever you want your next thing to be. And I I I want people to do it more. I think people are, especially in the tech space, they're pretty reliant on investors and kind of investment dollars. And that's what gets talked about a lot, but I don't think that that's the right way for most
1: businesses that um, we want to start. I'm so glad you mentioned that. What a great note to end on. And I mean, we could have a whole other episode on that last point, but (laughs) our time has come to an end. So what's the best way that we can connect with you after this episode?
2: Yes. So I am on social media, probably most active on Twitter at Jewel Melanie. And um, Instagram, LinkedIn, Jewel Burks. And yeah, I would love to hear from people. And if I can be helpful
1: in any way, please feel free to reach out. Thank you so much for joining us in the guest chair today, Jewel. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. And there you have it. Hey, guys.